This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Brian Chappell as he provides an introduction of the General Assembly for first-time commissioners. Brian Chappell is the stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America. This seminar was recorded at the 2021 General Assembly in St. Louis. Let's listen as Brian Chappell discusses General Assembly for Rookies. Hello, everyone. You're welcome to the first time commissioner seminar. So this is known as the, the Rookies Seminar, and you have a rookie stated clerk to uh, walk you through it. So uh, our, our vastly experienced and faithful stated clerk, Roy Clark, you may know, has uh, retired this last year. And so uh, a number of these uh, duties come to me. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do is uh, tell you it's great that you do this. The church functions best because the local church says we can do far more with other churches than we can do independently. Now, we can work independently, but if we believe what Presbyterians believe, we believe that God has called us into a body for the purposes of doing mission and ministry together. And when we hold each other accountable and do mission together, both faithfulness and mission work far more powerfully and effectively. And uh, so I want to talk to you about the way we do that in the PCA, and I'd like to begin by praying with and for this assembly with you. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful that you have called the body of Christ to do the work of our Savior. And we gather here now to do that work. We recognize there are many reasons that people come that are Good and important, for some it's old home week, for some it's a chance to go to a ball game. For some, Father, it is a chance to see if the church with which they have aligned is faithful to you as best they can perceive. And so I would pray that for these men that have come as commissioners from presbyteries and churches, that you would give us the ability to be faithful to you. There is no human, divine, human device or design that will keep us faithful apart from the work of your spirit. And so you've given us your word as guide, but unless we bow before you and say, Father, unless you give your spirit to melt our hearts, to bind us in mission and ministry, to give us understanding of one another, 
to give us courage for our time, then we will not be faithful to you. So we would ask that as you help us to understand how this church functions, that you would give us, above all, love for the work of our Savior. We recognize that what the world watches for when a church gathers is whether it will do anything different from the rest of the world. Will we be that alternate society of Jesus? Or will we be like the kingdoms of this world in how we conduct ourselves, what we do and what we say about one another and about the matters for which we are concerned? And so we would ask that you would allow us to speak with faithfulness and charity, that there would be ways in which we would deal with integrity, and at the same time we would be very concerned not just for orthodoxy of doctrine, but orthodoxy of community. People will know us by our love as well as by our standards. We are bound to both, and we ask that you would guide us in being faithful to both in what we do even in this seminar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're like me, um, you come into an assembly like this, and there are things that are familiar, there are people that talk about the scriptures, you hear sermons and worship that are familiar in many ways, and then we'll get into these large meetings in these large halls, and, and things may be kind of obscure. We're following things like parliamentary process. We talk about overtures from various committees. We have committees that are doing different jobs and tasks, and it can all just kind of be overwhelming in terms of finding your way through the massive things that are going on. So what I put up on the whiteboard, and I know it's, some of you are going to be too far out to see many details, so I'll try to explain uh, some of the pieces as we go, is kind of a, a chart of understanding how we operate. And recognizing it won't answer all the questions, and in some ways it's, it's too simple to be true, but it's a way of hopefully getting your, your bearings and your orientation in what we do. So if you can see what's here, all these little dots, are uh, the individuals uh, in the United States and Canada, because that's the PCA. We are in the United States and Canada. Some churches, historically, when they move internationally, they take that denomination internationally as well. The PCA historically has not done that. We have planted indigenous churches. By the way, that's our history, to plant indigenous churches in separate lands, and to say that our resources are to be used for that, rather than to take our denomination into other lands. Now, we want to take our values, our mission, our polity, and all those things, but we have not been as concerned to take our denomination itself beyond North America. So the United States and Canada have believers individually that are part of the visible church and the invisible church, right? They may not be associated with a particular church, but we recognize in the visible churches in which people gather, uh, there are faithful preachers, and one of the ways in which we identify their faithfulness is they're responsible to local presbyteries. So presbyteries are where the elders, pastors, and ruling elders of a particular region are commissioned to hold each other accountable for faithfulness to the word and practices that are in align with Presbyterian understanding of what the scriptures teach. And so we have individuals who unite in individual churches and they are in accountability in presbyteries, which are regional bodies. And those presbyteries themselves recognize, just as individuals can do more corporately in a church than they can as an individual, and just as churches operating corporately in a presbytery 
can typically do more than an individual autonomous church can. So when our presbyteries unite in the work of a general assembly, so we are able to do far more collectively than we could do individually. Just an example. Uh, right now we have something on the order of 600 full-time missionaries supported in the PCA. That is the largest Presbyterian mission force in the history of the world. 600 full-time missionaries by the PCA. Now, we're only about 400,000 people. That's not a very large denomination. But it's the largest Presbyterian mission force in the history of the world. How did that happen? Because individuals weren't operating autonomously, nor were churches operating autonomously, nor were Presbyteries operating autonomously. But whether we were uniting in the work through our presbyteries of a general assembly. Now, how do we provide things for the general assembly? The things that we provide in terms of instruction to the assembly come through commissioners. So these presbyteries uh, commission commissioners to come here. They are representative of their local congregations, and if they're pastors, they're representative of their presbyteries. So commissioners come to the General Assembly to express the concerns, the values, the priorities of individual presbyteries. Not only do we have commissioners, they express what they hope to happen by overtures. So overtures come from different presbyteries to the General Assembly. These overtures are voted upon in the presbyteries. They are sent to the General Assembly. And then commissioners who have come from the different uh, presbyteries vote upon those overtures. Now, those overtures are establishing doctrine. They are also establishing practice. Now, the practices of the General Assembly are carried out through its agencies and institutions which sometimes we call committees or permanent committees. The PCA has 10 of them. And I hope I counted right, but hopefully there's 10 across the bottom there. And they are everything from Mission to the World, which is our international mission agency, Mission to North America, which is primarily about mission within the continental United States. It's not exclusively that, but it's primarily that. And it's about planting churches as well as doing ministry collectively within the United States. There are other things like RBI that you'll hear about, which is Retirement Benefits and Insurance. For, so for those people who are full-time employed in the denomination, pastors and agency staff members, there are retirement concerns, there are benefits, there's insurance, and RBI handles that. One of the really glorious things that's happening just this year that you will hear at the General Assembly is our RBI has become well enough established and recognized that two other denominations are now asking RBI to handle their retirement benefits and insurance. So the KAPC, the Korean American Presbyterian Church, and the ARP, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, are asking RBI to do their insurance and benefits. Now they're doctrinally where we are, but culturally different. And yet we're starting to say, let's come together for a purpose that's even beyond denominational uh, boundaries. We have other ways that we work beyond denominational boundaries. We have something known as interchurch relations. And I'm actually ahead of myself there a little bit, but they help relate us to people outside of that. 
We have a college. We have a seminary. Covenant Seminary, Covenant College. A foundation. So a lot of the funds, as you may know, for churches are not just what we're giving annually, but people do estate plans. Or they give major gifts to the church, and they don't want to give it all at one time, so there's a foundation that parcels it out through advise and consult funds. So there are ways in which we do continuing ministry. We have a campground known as Ridge Haven. The administrative committee that, that I serve as the stated clerk is trying to keep all the plates spinning. <laughs> so uh, it, I, I have absolutely no power. But, but uh, the idea is that there's coordinated effort and communication among all these different agencies and with the presbyteries and with the organization of the General Assembly. Now, uh, how do we make sure that all this coordination uh, is going on? Uh, there are certain processes that happen here at General Assembly, whereby we are trying to see that things happen. All these overtures that come from the presbyteries, they are handled by something known as the Overtures Committee, which is in some ways like our Senate. It's, it's, it's not a proper analogy in every way, but um, every presbytery um, has representatives that it can put on the Overtures Committee. And they listen to these overtures that come. They can make amendments. They debate them. They debate them. And, they, <laughs> and then they make They don't, by the way, rule on the overtures. They make recommendations to the assembly. So when you hear overtures coming on the floor of General Assembly, when you know there are 2,000 of us who are on the floor of General Assembly, uh, those have already come through here with the recommendation of the Overtures Committee. But they don't decide. They just make recommendations here. Now, what happens is we've gotten large enough and some of the issues are complex enough, we don't ask the General Assembly to re-debate by making amendments and substitute amendments an amendment to the substitute of the amendment of the substitute. You know, we, we, we wore each other out doing that a decade or so ago, and so we said, all right, in Overtures Committee, you can make all of those amendments and changes you want to the Overtures. They, they, they show up early than the rest of us, and they debate all of those things to make their record. But when it gets to General Assembly, you can vote up, down, or send it back. Up, down, or send it back. And so you will at times hear lots of debate, but no more do we make lots of amendments on the floor, right? We assume that's happened here, and if we don't agree with what comes to us, uh, we can send it, we can say, no, we don't agree, or we can say, you know, we think you need to talk that through even more. And so we can send it back. Um, that's the Overtures uh, Committee. We have uh, what's known as the CCB, the Committee on Constitutional Business. The Committee on Constitutional Business looks at these overtures and say, you know, that's a wonderful idea. It, its only problem is it's against our Constitution. <laughs> and they're actually supposed to determine, are these overtures constitutional or not? Now, if they're determining is these overtures are constitutional, what are they evaluating? They are looking at our standards, which govern the principles of the General Assembly. Uh, what are those standards? The Bible, is it consistent with Scripture? Then with the Constitution of the PCA. What is the Constitution? The Confession 
and catechism and the book of church order. And by the way, it's in that priority order. Okay, so uh, the Bible trumps the confession, trumps the BCO. We also have what are known as the rules of assembly operation. The BCO is our general governance. The rules of assembly operation says, how do we just function when we're here together? The BCO governs everybody all the time. The REO governs how we operate in the assembly. Now, not everything is mentioned in the REO. And so we talk about Robert's rules of order. Robert's rules of order, which is, you know, you've been in committees or institutions where you make a motion, you second and all that. Those are found in Robert's rules of order. So these are the standards that we follow. The Constitution is not the Bible. It's the Confession of the BCO. Why is that the case? Because you can change the Confession of the BCO, you can't change the Bible. Okay, so that, that's the unaltering standard. But uh, the Confession, I don't know we've ever changed in uh, now over 100 years. Um, the BCO, we seem to change every year. <laughs> you know, that's why it's in loose leaf. <laughs> and the REO, uh, we, we change pretty regularly as well. So uh, obviously, these standards, um, the confession, we argue by the confession, but rarely do we argue to change the confession. We do a lot of arguing about changing the BCO. And uh, debate, debate, not argue. But we, uh, we have those debates. And again, it's this CCB who's using these standards to say, are these overtures appropriately being considered when they come? And the CCB advises the overtures committee whether those overtures are constitutional uh, or not. In addition to the CCB, um, we have a nominating committee. Now, what does the nominating committee do? See all of these agencies and committees, we call them permanent committees down there, they, they have boards. And uh, they, they may be called committees, they may be called boards, but if you can just imagine, each of these has a board. How is that board established? The General Assembly elects people to these boards so that the will of the church through the General Assembly is applied to the committees and agencies. And the men who are elected to serve on these boards are, are named by the nominating committee. So presbyteries through the year will send in nominees to the nominating committee, which meets in the spring to identify who the nominating committee will recommend for these boards. Now, we are definitely a grassroots church. So we say, now that's the nominating committee's opinion. They make their recommendation. But while we're here at General Assembly, there can also be floor nominations. So somebody can say, well, that's what the nominating committee wanted. Honestly, that usually carries the day. But on occasion, somebody will say, well, no, I, I think the, this person would be better suited for one of these boards. And so a floor nomination will be made for one of those boards as well. And so that, that will happen as well when the nominating committee makes its report and we will vote. Do we affirm what the nominating committee said or do we have concerns and would we vote instead for uh, somebody from uh, the floor? Um, 
it may strike you as odd because the system is redundant in some ways. These boards operate throughout the year. So these nominations are very important for these continuing year-long boards. But while the General Assembly is meeting, the General Assembly is auditing the boards and saying, are you doing what we think the General Assembly wants you to do? So during the course of the General Assembly, there are committees of commissioners. So out of these people who are commissioners coming to GA, there are committees of commissioners that hear reports from each of the boards and the committees, and it's where those who come just for General Assembly are looking at the minutes and the reports of these committees and saying, are you doing what we think is right? And ultimately, it is not the boards that report to the GA when we're on the floor. It is the committees of commissioners. So they, they report and say, you know, we think they're doing a good job or not doing a good job, or we agree with this or we don't agree with that. But it's those who've come to the GA who actually are on these committees of commissioners to listen to the reports of the committees and agencies and make a recommendation to the General Assembly. Now, lots of checks and balances. The committees of commissioners sometimes get politicized. People, you know, get a whole lot of people who are real angry at some committee or agency, and they line up there. So we say, well, the committee or agency gets a chance to respond. <laughs> so the, the General Assembly will listen to the chairman of the committee of commissioners saying, we're happy or we're unhappy, but we'll also listen to the head of that agency and say, well, I, he might say, I, I think there's a reason for what we did that's a valid reason. And then the assembly chooses, right? Which way will we go? And, uh, but as I said, it's because we, we want to be faithful. And we strongly believe that as we have these checks and balances in here, we are, we are holding each other accountable. And in doing so, doing the Lord's work as we should be doing in an accountability system. Um, I did mention earlier, interchurch relations, IRC. So... The IRC interchurch relations is operating outside our committees and agencies for um, other denominations with which we have either fraternal or corresponding relations. So we say, how does the PCA relate to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church? How does the PCA relate to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church? Now, those are interesting choices. The OPC is much more like us doctrinally. It does not ordain women. It believes the Bible is entirely true. We do too. So we have fraternal relations with the OPC, and that's maintained by the IRC, right? They're kind of operating in our behalf. We have corresponding relations with churches like the EPC, which ordain women, so we fear we're not quite in the same spot, but we believe you're gospel-oriented. We're going to keep corresponding with you. We're going to keep relating to you. And so we have... Um, relationships that are not quite the same as those in what are called NAPART churches, North American Presbyterian and Reformed churches. We have fraternal relations with them. We have corresponding relations with You hear that little hierarchy of relationships? Okay. So the IRC is advising the GA on those relationships. And sometimes that means we should be doing things in league with other denominations. Sometimes it means we, we think that denomination has not done what it should have done. We feel like we should make a statement about that. So the IRC is, you know, its purview is outside 
our normal agencies and institutions to see if people are doing what we think they should be doing. Making sure here, have we covered, um, there will be ins and outs beyond what I have said, but I, I think that that's kind of the big pieces of, of what's there. I'm going to stop before I cover some of the overtures that are in front of us this year, just to give you some background there. That's, that's a huge overview, and I said in some ways, simplistic and nothing. Well, what about all these exceptions? There will be exceptions to almost everything I said, uh, but, but hopefully that gives you a sense of what's going on. Do you have questions for me now that I, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. These green things, yeah. The green, the green circles. Yeah. I thought you were playing pigpen earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh, are they, they're nominated by the presbytery? Is that how? So uh, the committees of commissioners, the commissioners are sent by the, they are elected by the presbytery, yes. And they're actually elected by the presbytery to that particular body. Right. So um, you'll see in your spring presbytery meeting, the stated clerk of that presbytery will say, you know, we need somebody to serve on, you know, just because they're in rotation. Presbyteries are in, we have 88 presbyteries. So they're in rotation for these different committees and agencies. And your stated clerk of your presbytery says something like, you know, we need a ruling elder for MTW, we need a teaching elder for MNA, and, and you will actually appoint people for those slots. And that's how they get on the committees of commissioners. Yes, sir. Where does the overture committee come from? Uh, the overtures committee that is dealing with these overtures to make recommendations to the General Assembly is elected. You, you, have, you have two that can come from the presbyteries. Right, and, and uh, I said that and now I'm questioning it. I'm sorry, you have a ruling elder or a teaching elder from each presbytery who is voted upon by that presbytery and they're in rotation. So ruling and then teaching in rotation. And that's where one of the exceptions is. We, we typically say if you can't get a representative from your presbytery who's in the rotation, then somebody else can take his place from your presbytery. So we, it's better that a presbytery be represented than not represented. We'd like to see the rotation, and we'll let you know what that rotation is. But elected from the presbytery to, to serve in that kind of Senate spot. Yes? Yes. Uh, so the question was, is there ever a time when an overture comes and it goes to one of these committees rather than to the overture committee? And the answer is definitely if the overture mentions that it's to be dealt with one of these. So that's one of the exceptions that you're right to pick out. So if, if an overture says, we would like for MTW to do something, then that doesn't go to overtures first. That goes straight to MTW because they're the ones who have knowledge and advice to give on it. And that will actually happen this year. So there, there are two overtures that have come directly to MTW. And in that case, MTW will make its advice to the General Assembly. So many more overtures will go to the Overtures Committee. But if there are specific ones dealing with one of these, then by rule, the overture goes to that place for consultation. Right behind you, yes. Are these boards uh, full-time? The answer is no. They, they are ruling and teaching elders uh, doing other jobs. So they show up, again, 
these will be all very different kinds of committees and agencies. So they'll show up maybe quarterly, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year to do board business, but they're otherwise employed. So there are staff for each of these who are full-time employees, right? But the boards, the oversight boards, are ruling teaching elders from churches other places. Way back there. Yeah, good point. So that's going to be one of our processes here. Um, so the General Assembly has, and you know how this is, if, if a church has had a disciplinary or judicial matter and somebody is um, not happy with what happened, they can appeal to the presbytery. And then if that person is not happy with how the presbytery acts, they can appeal to the General Assembly. But the General Assembly, you know, the 12, 13, 1,500 people don't hear the case. It's SJC hears the case. So the SJC is actually meeting through the year hearing these appeals or complaints from presbyteries. So um, on rare occasions, and it was, it's never actually happened. It's in our books, but it's never actually happened. Uh, the GA itself can hear a case. And by, by rule, every person has to have read the entire, what's known as the brief, the record of the case, which can be hundreds of pages. We're hoping that never happens. <laughs> but uh, but it's, in the, it's in the rules that it could. Okay. Yes? Yes, yes. Does the SJC's decision stand for uh, the General Assembly? And so it's, the, it's not the Standing Judicial Committee, it's the Standing Judicial Commission, which means, yes, it's, its decision is the decision of the GA. And it's a little bit why I didn't kind of put it in the mix here, because it's kind of unlike all the others in that everything else is a committee. The, the, only the SJC is a commission, and, and only for judicial cases. Right? How are those commissioners? The commissioners for these are elected, and now I'm going to... I struggle to remember how many there are. 24, maybe? Um, somebody's going to correct me on that. Any specific representation from Presbyterian? No. So these are nominations. The nominating committee is going to nominate people for the SJC. As you might guess, I mean, those are highly uh, important positions and therefore sometimes, you know, highly contested. Uh, I mean, people are very serious about you can't have 100 people in the SJC. So there's, there's, these are men who know these standards kind of inside out and uh, have typically been in the church for many years. And, they, and I've been on the SJC for many years, and I will tell you, I so admire the SJC. There are people from very different, in our little narrow word, very different political perspectives. They deal with great integrity with each other. I've never seen otherwise. I mean, it, they will say, what do the standards say? And they may have varied, I mean, we have strong debates, but uh, I've, I've never seen people operate without integrity. It's, it's, uh, they operate by our standards. And that can be tough. Yes? I should know that. Let's see, how long is the term for SJC? I think four years. I'm sorry I've been on it so long, I forget. Um, I think four years. Anybody know offhand? What is it? Is it four? Okay, I should know, but it's just out of my head right now. Yes, sir. My question relates to the RUS and the teaching elders that are part of it. Yes. Are they primarily accountable to the local secretary or are they accountable to the, the RUS? 
that's, that's a wonderful question that's actually in part of this year's debate. Are, are local RUF ministers mainly accountable to the agency? Are they mainly accountable to the presbytery? And we would historically say the presbytery, right? So the, the agency is administrating the authority of the presbytery, but the presbytery has the authority. Now, um, just more, more detail, that, that involves certain corporate legal state, depending on the state, that involves certain corporate and legal issues that are becoming more and more contestable. So RUF is trying to find its way through that right now. And, and it is in, you know, it's in, um, it's in development. So I'm not, but historically, um, the ministers who are in a particular college town are under the authority of the presbytery. Uh, as I said, that's, but they're paid by the, paid agent, you know, their, their insurance and benefits are there and so forth. So we, we have kind of a neither fish nor fowl that we're having to run through some legal hoops. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. So it, these green things, these committees of commissioners that operate only while the General Assembly is here, you're, you are committing to a meeting of two to five hours during a single day of General Assembly. Now, if you are looking at being on one of these boards, uh, you are committing to a multi-day uh, uh, meeting once to four times a year. Uh, and, and honestly, any, if you're on a board, you, you have a lot more invested in that institution or entity than just showing up for a meeting. But if you're on a committee of commissioners, there's more. Now, if you're on something like the SJC, um, you know, we had a case this year that just the record of the case was over a thousand pages. So it, it, there's a little more, there's more work on that. If you're on the overtures committee, um, which is again like the Senate, hearing all the overtures that are coming. The overtures committee, you are showing up two days early to general, or day and a half. You're showing up a day and a half early for the General Assembly, and you will be debating for um, maybe 20 hours during the course of the General Assembly. Yes, sir. Way back. So do these committees, particularly the Overtures Committee, does it re-meet during the time of General Assembly if something has been sent back to them? And the answer is maybe. Um, so if it's late in the assembly, there's no time to get everybody back together. And uh, there are certain quorums that are required, et cetera. So it may get referenced to the Overtures Committee the next year. But sometimes they do. If it's early enough in the assembly that something's been sent back, they, they might meet again during that assembly. If they can't meet again in that assembly, it's deferred to the next year. Yes, sir. So um, there, 
what's the term for a board member. So if it's one of the educational institutions, it's a board member. So it's a trustee or a board member. If it's uh, one of these other things, uh, you're, a, you're a permanent committee member. So we, we, have, we have what are known as committees and agencies. Excuse me? Yeah, and it can be three, it, it can be three or four. I'm trying to think if anybody has five, but usually, usually three or four. Yeah. And again, educational institutions are kind of a horse of a different color because different laws apply to them, different board standards apply to them, and so forth. So we have boards for agencies, and then we have uh, committee members for permanent committees. We also, these, these more than you want to know, certain things like these are called special committees, which, which means they do special work just for the time of the assembly, as opposed to permanent committees that are doing work all year long, like MTW. Yes, sir. Yes. So if it's a study committee dealing with one of these agencies, then it's referred to that committee or agency. But most are not. Most are issue-driven. So a presbytery sends an overture that says we would like a study committee on something, and that goes to the overtures committee. And it, you know, it makes a recommendation to the General Assembly about whether or not to have that study committee or not. Now, the study committee may have a matter that deals with one of these committees or agencies' concerns, in which case it's heard by both. So the AC handles the finances for study committees. The overtures committee handles, if you will, the subject matter. So uh, we at times will say, uh, on the AC, that's a wonderful idea. There's no money to pay for it, you know. So you know uh, that it's it's a back and forth then. The moderator of the general assembly, so the man who's elected moderator here. Yes, sir. How does the CCB, the Committee on Constitutional Business, gets populated? Again, it's the nominating committee. And that's a much smaller committee, by the way. That's only six or seven people who are looking at the constitutionality of things. Good questions. I feel like I'm going through my hoops myself. I'm going, yeah, what is <laughs> So uh, those things. Let me, um, Karen, when are we done here? We have 10 minutes. I, I, I'm, I'm told at times you, you at least want to have a sense of what overtures are in front of you. So I'm just going to go real I'm not going to try to cover everything, but just tell you what I think are, are probable. Uh, things of greater uh, concern at this assembly. We, we have eight overtures, so overtures from presbyteries. We have eight overtures to this general assembly. They're dealing with issues of human sexuality. So now they, um, some are asking, again, we haven't done it this way, some are asking the general assembly to assume original jurisdiction of a presbytery matter. Uh, that's a very rare request, but it means people are concerned about something. Um, others are simply um, trying to change some of the rules here regarding sexual matters, right? So other overture, three overtures are saying, we want to change either the BCO or the RAO regarding ordination standards. And so uh, those, those are coming as well. Overtures 3 and 14 seek amendment 
to the MTW manual. So these are overtures that say we have a concern about what MTW is doing with regard to field supervisors. And these are mainly gender-related issues, and the PCA is concerned about that. So there are recommendations that have come for that, and MTW's already agreed to the recommendations. So I don't let it be controversial, but it was where Presbytery said we'd like for some additional uh, standards on that. Uh, Overture 22 seeks to eliminate the statute of limitations for the discipline of some offenses. So we, we have historically had what, if you read it and don't know all the history behind it, what appears to be a statute of limitations of one year on some offenses. Now, that was not the intention of when it was written, but it, if you just kind of come cold to it, it says that. So there are people who are uh, saying, we, we don't think a statute of limitations should be like that, uh, particularly for the nature of some offenses. So you'll, you'll see some desire to change that. Overtures 24 and 39 seek to reduce ruling elder fees. Nobody likes paying fees. And so uh, there are those who would say we would get more ruling elders here if they didn't have to pay as much. Uh, as the one who accepts your fees, I will tell you uh, that's not right. <laughs> uh, ruling elders uh, do not um, decide not to come uh, because of the fees. They don't like wasting, as they perceive it, vacation days, which is the primary reason that ruling elders don't come. If, if we simply reduce all the ruling elder fees, now again, plain talk to you, um, this that operates the GA uh, during the pandemic, our giving dropped by two-thirds in the second quarter of last year. Uh, we, cut our, we slashed our budget by 20%. Uh, we did lots of things to try to make it. We would encourage you not to reduce fees in this particular year. Uh, so uh, that's, you may view that as selfish, but if you want to have your fees reduced, that's selfish. <laughs> so. Yes. It is. So the, the is to be, to be no, the, actually, because this, because, remember I said some things will be affecting particular agencies, and so they go directly to that agency if they're directed at that agency. The AC controls fees. So that's come directly to the AC rather than to the Overtures Committee. Right. So if it deals directly with a committee, then it goes to that committee. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, he's talking about what overtures have been submitted, but he's not saying whether or not overtures committee has said, yes, we recommend this, or no, we don't. He's just listing all the possible overtures that have been submitted. Right? So your question was, no, no, that is my question. Yeah, if, 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 the, if there's a, these overtures that are being presented to us, has the overtures committee said, I, I, that's what I thought they, of They do. They make, re they, they said, we, to approve or not approve, right? On those are on all on all overtures except those directed at a particular agency or committee. Then those go to the committee or agency that makes its recommendations. But far more overtures have nothing to do with particular agencies. They're more dealing with book of church order things and so forth. So the vast majority of overtures are getting recommendations from the overtures committee. And sometimes it's dual. Right? You may say overtures committee may deal with, so sometimes both, both get a hearing. Um, 
Overture 26 is proposing, you can guess this, during the pandemic period, whether or not we're going to allow any sort of electronic meetings, right? We did it out of necessity last year, but we were kind of operating on the fringes of the BCO. So we're saying, you know, what happens in the next pandemic or if there's a war, or you know what. Overture 27 uh, seeks to amend the BCO, so it's back here again, uh, to require public excommunication. So if you excommunicate somebody, it's a different standard than we've typically had about how sessions have opportunities to make decisions about what's best for the church. It's saying, well, it can only be public if this overture were to pass. Uh, overture 31 is about associate and assistant pastor movement. I don't know that many of you will be concerned about that. Uh, we do have some overtures about studying ethics on uh, digital media. You know, with the temperature that tends to get raised on digital media, there's concern about that. Um, overtures 33 and 35 are just about process. Let me see 36. We have two study committees being proposed on white supremacy and critical race theory. So as that's roiling our culture now, there are some people asking for study committees on those matters. Uh, probably more difficult for the overtures committee is Overture 40, which seeks to allow victim protection in cases of abuse. So this is really tough on us. You know, Matthew 18 says, you know, you go to the person who's offended you, but what if you're 13 and that's a pastor who's 55. Now what? So we, we are struggling with, you know, how do we follow scripture for fairness as well as process? And so that's, that's one that will probably have uh, some significant discussion. But hopefully this gives you some, some sense of the main. So I need to let you go because our time is up, but thank you. Good to have you here. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces. Gifts and Graces.